We uh, started a series uh, a couple of weeks ago that we've entitled The Lightnings of God. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1 is a, a scripture that, um, well, I've been praying ever since I learned about it in uh, 1980. Brother Hagen taught us to pray this. And at the time he was praying, he was praying about uh, the condition of the world. The Soviet Union was in existence. And and um, um, uh, without hesitation, I can tell you that our prayers, along with others, I'm not saying we're the only ones that we're praying, but prayers based on Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1 caused the collapse of the Soviet Union and opened the doors for the gospel to go into the that part of the world. Um, consequently, we saw firsthand over a matter of just a couple of years the power in praying according to God's plan and purpose. And so I have often on prayed these uh, uh, prayed prayers based on Zechariah chapter 10 since that time. But about five years ago, I think we're in our sixth year, uh, the Lord spoke to me about uh, uh, starting prayer school on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock before the Sunday evening service, uh, it was at the same time we turned the Sunday evening service into healing school, that the Lord uh, uh, spoke to my heart on a vac- during a vacation about when I came home, start prayer school and start having healing school and dedicate uh, Sunday night services to, to healing. And from that point in time, um, I think we just have entered our sixth year, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, when, it, when these things took place. Uh, since that time, uh, or for that period of time, we've now been praying for almost six years, Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1, which says, Ask of the Lord rain, ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. King James says bright clouds. Uh, it's, this word that's translated uh, uh, bright clouds in Zechariah 10.1 is translated lightnings in the only other two times that it's used in Scripture. So the Lord shall make lightnings or bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. Now, there's uh, there's only one reason for the rain, and that is to bring forth a harvest. All throughout uh, the history of Israel, God talks about showing forth, giving forth His treasure of the heavens, which is the rain, for the purpose of their ground producing. Something's very interesting about the the land of Israel. It doesn't have any natural water in and of itself, so without rain, they're stuck. So they're praying for rain constantly. I mean, it's it's a part of their life. Something about rain is that uh, the only place it comes from is from God. It only comes from heaven. You can't manufacture rain. You can irrigate. You can do things like that if you have the available water. But rain only comes from heaven. And so it's a, a spiritual example of Israel keeping their eyes, the people of God, keeping their eyes on God for their source of sufficiency. Well, this is not talking about the land of Israel in the way that it's spoken, although that, that promise belonged to Israel, uh, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel too. This is talking about a spiritual application, so it's talking about a spiritual rain or a spiritual harvest. So he's saying, ask of the Lord rain, which is a moving of the Holy Ghost, to bring forth a spiritual harvest. And here's what he'll do. He'll bring forth bright clouds, lightnings. Folks, there's only one thing that can possibly be, and that is a manifestation of God's presence and His and His glory. I think that's one reason the translators put bright clouds here is because it talks about the glory cloud in the Old Testament. The presence of God being a glory cloud. It's got to be talking about His presence. But again, it can be translated lightnings. I think both are good. I like both. I get something out of both, both uh, ways to translate it. Because lightnings are an appearance of God's power. There's nothing more powerful in the universe than lightning. Man can't harness lightning. And the only thing you can do is duck if it's coming. Now, we've talked about this before. Lightning is a manifestation of the electrical current that's always present in the atmosphere. There's always electrical uh, current. There's always electrical charges in the atmosphere. But lightning is a manifestation of the current or the charge that's already there. Well, in the same way, the Holy Ghost is always there. He's always present. He's covering the whole earth. And he's available for anything that someone will put a demand on him to do according to the plan and the purpose of God. But a, but lightnings is a manifestation of God's presence in a special way. 
Notice he says he'll also give showers of rain. That showers of rain has a, a reference to the, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in some manner. The Bible talks about the early and the latter rain in many places. It uh, refers to that uh, as being, as refers to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 as being a type of the early and the latter rain. Well, we know what the outpouring of the Holy Ghost looks like then. It resulted in people getting saved. 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. We magnify the tongues, and rightly so. There's nothing wrong with magnifying the tongues when people were filled with the Holy Spirit. But the end result of the tongues being poured out was that Peter spoke and preached the gospel of Jesus, and 3,000 people got saved. So there was a harvest as a result of the outpouring of the rain. And that's exactly what he says he'll do. He says he'll give lightnings or bright clouds, showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. That's the harvest. Spiritual harvest is people coming into the kingdom of God. Now, that can be coming into the kingdom of God for the first time, meaning people being saved, or it can be people that have already been saved coming into the kingdom of God in a greater depth. God considers both harvests. See, harvest is not just evangelism. Harvest can be revival. We think of revival as evangelism. We think of those terms as interchangeable, but they're not. Revival is the church waking up. Revival is the church, those who are saved, being revived or returning to the things of God. Evangelism is getting people that are unsaved into the family of God. Well, both are harvest as far as God's concerned. God makes as many pleas to his people to come back to him as he does give instruction to the church to go out into the world and get people saved. In fact, the Bible really never says go into the world and get people saved. The Bible says go into the world and make disciples out of them. God's not interested in just how many fish he can pull up on the beach. He wants to know how many he can clean and get in the pot. And that's what being made a disciple is. It's being taught and trained in the truth of the word. It's a change of life. It's not just a conversion experience, folks. It's a change of life. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in relation to these things, Paul said... Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now, I'm reading from the King James again. And if you are reading along with me in the King James, you will notice that the word gifts is in italics. Well, anytime there's a word in italics or italicized in the New Testament, it's that the translators have added a word to try to help us understand what's being said. And they, they took their best shot. There's no question about it. This is uh, It's not a bad translation. It's not uh, inaccurate in what they're saying but it leaves the wrong impression among the church. Paul is saying, the whole purpose that Paul is writing these things to the Corinthians is he does not want the church to be ignorant. But the fact that the word gifts is in there helps maintain the ignorance in the body of Christ, it seems to me. Because in the original translation, the original Greek, it says, now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, if you're a translator, you've got to understand that we need something there. Now, the King James is a transliteration. I like the King James because it's the closest word-for-word translation of the original text. There are a lot of paraphrases. There are a lot of other good translations that I use and look at and refer to and so forth. But I like the King James for that reason. It's as close to a word-for-word translation from the original text as is possible. Well, in keeping with that, they're trying to keep word-for-word to the original text. So they added one word, gifts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. But it changes the understanding that Paul is trying to bring to us. Because the word, the original word in the Greek, spirituals, plural, means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So literally what he's saying, what he's trying to convey is, now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians, or whole chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is about things pertaining to and things that are of the Holy Ghost. But it's not all about spiritual gifts. He talks about manifestations of the Spirit. Verse 6, I think it is, he says, uh, or verse 7, he said, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Then he gives us a list of nine different things, nine different manifestations. Now, folks, these nine manifestations are the lightnings. The nine manifestations of the Spirit is identified in 1 Corinthians 12 are the lightnings. Then he talks about, for a big part of the chapter, about how the body of Christ works together. Everybody has different functions. Everybody has a different purpose. Then he ends the chapter by talking about ministry gifts. And God sets some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps diversities of, uh, helps governments, diversities of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Then he talks about not everybody's going to be an apostle. 
Well, he's talking about ministry gifts. He's talking about ministry offices. Now, what some people have done in a lack of knowledge, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody, but the truth is the truth whether somebody believes it or not, right? What some people have done is they've taken these things, this list of nine manifestations of the Spirit, they've added to that the eight different things that are mentioned as ministry gifts at the end of the chapter. That's 16. They take Romans chapter 12 where seven different uh, what are called grace gifts are identified. So that would be 24. And then they add to that the, the list of five ministry gifts in Ephesians chapter 4 for a total of 29 things. And they've said, well, see, the Holy Ghost has 29 different gifts. And the problem with that is that people assume that all gifts are the same. And they're not. See, some gifts are yours to use. If I gave you my car, you could take it wherever you wanted to go. You could use it however you wanted to. It's up to you. You decide that. But manifestations of the Spirit aren't like that. Manifestations of the Spirit are not gifts in that context. Now, let me give you a natural example. Maybe it will help you understand. Let's say that it's your birthday. And somebody that owns season tickets at uh, for the Angels, Angel Stadium, they give you a card that says, you and I will go together and sit in the box seats for an Angels game. Well, that's a gift, isn't it? That's somebody giving you something that you didn't have before. But it's not completely under your control because he's not giving you his season tickets. He's giving you an appearance or a manifestation of something that he owns. Now, it may be such that you can't go without him. It may be such that it takes identification for him to be able to get in there. So you have to go with him. Now, what, when are you going to go? What game are you going to go to? Well, you're going to have to work that out when your schedules can coincide. In other words, when he can go and you can go with him is going to be the time where you can take advantage of that gift that he gave you. But it's not under your control exclusively, is it? That's how the manifestations of the Spirit work. You can't operate the word of wisdom without the Lord. You can't operate the word of knowledge without the Holy Ghost. You can't operate the gift of faith without the Holy Ghost. It's his to own. It's yours in manifestation as he wills. Now, let's take ministry gifts for an example. One of the things that both uh, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the end of the chapter, and also Romans chapter 12 identifies as teachers. It identifies something to do with teaching. Now, one of the things, I, I really don't like to use the word gift in this context, but one of the things the Lord has given me, has equipped me with, is the ability to teach the word. I just don't feel right by saying I have a gift of teaching. It just doesn't sound right. Now, technically that's true, but I just prefer to say I'm equipped to teach. Now, I can teach anytime I want to. I can choose to teach, I can choose not to teach, because that gift is made a part of the call or the office that God has set me in. So it's not a manifestation of the Spirit in that it only manifests from time to time as the Lord wills. I can choose to teach or choose not to teach. I could choose to stand here and and be silent for the rest of the, the morning service because it's up to me. I can determine. But see, some many people think that the gifts are all equal. All teaching is not equal. And I'm not talking about my teaching is different from somebody else's teaching. I'm saying not all teaching that comes from me is equal. For example, there are times where in preparation for the service, I'll spend a lot of time praying in tongues. I'll spend a lot of time studying. I'll spend a lot of time meditating in the Word to get direction from God on where He wants me to go. But then I'll come into a service, and I'll have to try to remember what what was it the Lord wanted me to say. Now, other times it just flows. Other times I'll remember everything and it just comes. I don't, I don't use notes, so I don't have to try to remember what the Lord had for me to say. But it'll just come out. It'll come out easy. It'll come out uh, clearly. It'll make more sense at some times than it does other times. I'll have less trouble getting it out on some occasions than at other times. Well, what's the difference? It's easy to say, well, Pastor Mike just must not have been prayed up today. And I wish that was it. I wish that it was determined simply by how much I prayed. Because I just pray all the time and be in the Spirit all the time when I'm preaching. But there are times where I can remember the unction or the anointing that I had in preparing for the service, but that same unction is not here, so I've got to try to struggle and remember something mentally. Now, wait a minute. What was it that the Lord wanted me to say about that? 
When at other times when I'm in the Spirit, it just kind of flows out. There are times where I remember the same things to say that I had an unction to say when I was preparing, but there's no power to say it in the service. You remember the Bible says about Revelation, it says, and John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. See, folks, there's something about being in the Spirit that enables the Holy Ghost to move and to manifest himself in a different way. Now, let me give you an example of this. I assume you know the story well enough. And if you don't, turn over to Acts chapter 16. It's the story where Paul casts the devil out of the little girl that's uh, the fortune teller. You remember the story? They're in the city of Philippi. Acts chapter 16, about verse 16, it says that they went to prayer. And there was a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. That means fortune telling. Brought her masters much gain by telling fortunes, or soothsaying, as King James says. And this girl followed Paul and his company and cried, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which do show unto us the way of salvation. And it said, This did she many days. Well, how many is many days? It's more than a few, isn't it? I don't know. Is it, is it a week? Is it a month? I don't know. But it's what the Bible identifies as many days. It's more than a handful. So it says, This she did many days, but Paul, on a certain day, Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, Come out of her in the name of Jesus. Now, can I ask you a question? Why did Paul let that go on for many days? He knows this little girl doesn't know him the first day he gets to town. He knows there's no natural way for her to know who he and, and his company are, they are, are, who they are, or what they're there for. So it's got to be something that he's discerned. This is an evil spirited operation. He would know from the fact that she's telling fortunes that it's the work of the devil. So it's not that he just finally came to the understanding, oh, my goodness, this is the devil. We ought to do something about this. That's crazy. Well, it can't be that Paul was just happened to be prayed up one day because Paul is the one that tells us about the authority that we have by being seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that's named, not only in this world but in that which is to come. So it can't be that Paul finally wakes up and says, wait a minute, I've got authority over this. He knows. So why did he let it go on for many days before he finally turned and said to the Spirit, not to the girl, when he said to the Spirit, come out of her in the name of Jesus, and he did. He came out the same hour. Why did it take many days? Because that was when there was a lightning from God. Now, that lightning from God could have been any number of things. It could have been discerning of spirits. It could have been something that Paul saw, because if he saw it, then he'd have authority to deal with it, or it could have been the gift of faith in operation. But regardless... It was a flash. It was a manifestation of the Spirit of God in a, in a, uh, who knows what brought it about. I would just have to conclude that it was as the Spirit wills. But it didn't have anything to do with Paul's condition. Did it? Did Paul say afterwards, he said, man, I'm sorry, I've just been spiritually down for a while. Finally got back on top. Now, see, we'd like to excuse it to things like that because, because then we could put it in our control. But, folks, i got to tell you, there are times where I come prayed up, ready to go. I mean, I don't go by feelings, but feeling like you could charge hell with a squirt gun. Just feeling strong, feeling spiritually strong and get no results in services. And there are other times where I come to church thinking, man, I'm alive, I need somebody to pray for me. And you get results. So it can't be the condition of the individual alone. Now, don't get me wrong. God expects me to prepare. God expects me to keep myself uh, built up spiritually. That's why walking in the Spirit is such an important thing. It's been relegated by the charismatics as a second-class position. Well, you know, walk in the Spirit. If you can't have the gifts of the Spirit, then, yeah, you should walk in the Spirit. Now, walking in the Spirit is the foundation for the gifts of the Spirit. Paul said, if I have all faith so I can move mountains and don't have love, I don't have anything. Well, he must know something about that, shouldn't he? For that reason, I can be in the Spirit in preparation. And and this happens a lot to me. I, well, I don't know if I should say a lot. If you say a lot, people think it happens every day, and I don't mean that. But it happens uh, several times a month. I'll be in prayer. I'll be preparing for a service or just meditating on whatever God has given me direction to minister on. And I'll get flashes. I'll see many visions, what Brother Hagin used to call many visions. 
I'll see people getting healed. I'll see myself ministering to people and getting people healed. I'll see real serious cases of sickness dealt with, things that I know about. People I know about in the church, people I've been praying for for a long time. And I'll get excited and I'll think, oh, praise God, this Sunday is the day. I'll come to church on Sunday and there's no function to do it. Why? I used to get mad at God about that. What are you showing me this stuff for? Or are you not showing me this? Is this just my imagination? Now, folks, if it's just my imagination, I'm, at least I'm thinking good things. I'm thinking about people being helped. I'm thinking about people being set free and people being delivered. But is that it? Really? I mean, is, is that the supernatural part of my ministry? Is just when I'm alone imagining things? Can't be. Turn with me to 2 Kings 20. Let me show you an example of something. I suppose... And, and I, I have to be careful how I say this because I really don't want to leave the wrong impression. But I suppose that during the time that, that I have been in ministry, when God has called me to the ministry, that the gifts of revelation, the manifestations of revelation, have operated in me and through me more than any other manifestations of the Spirit and, along with that, the gift of faith. Now it's taken me it's taken me some years to figure out how they work, and um, uh, and I I heard Brother Hagen teach on all these things. I've got all Brother Hagen's books. I've heard Brother Hagen say things uh, in private, tell private stories about the manifestations of the Spirit that I've never heard him preach in public. Uh, toward the the end of his life, the last couple of years, he started teaching a few of these things to the second year class at uh, at Rama, but prior to that, this was just private stuff. So I've got a lot of information. But just because you've got information doesn't mean you know something. See, you only know what's real in your heart. You only know what's real enough in your spirit to be manifest or to be acted on in your life. Somebody can know about faith, but unless they're speaking it and believing in their heart and speaking with their mouth, it's not real. It's real knowledge, but it's not real faith. That's the difference between what uh, E.W. Kenyon used to call mental assent and real heart faith. A lot of people agree that the Bible is true in their heads, but there's a big difference between agreeing in your mind or assenting to the truth of the word because you know God is supposed to be real and the Bible is supposed to be true and acting on it, what, acting on the principles that the Bible espouses. Big difference. So I had a lot of information about these things. I'm, I'm full of information. I mean, I'm somebody that will grab stuff. And, uh, I spend a lot of time studying the Internet for things that uh, uh, that I've heard of and never been able to get hold of. And thank God there's a lot of people that are out there that are putting some out-of-print things back in the hands of people so that we can use them. But uh, but I'm still learning a lot of things. Now, those of you that have already learned all of it, you come up and you teach us. Because <laughs> we've got a lot to hear from from you. First King, or Second Kings chapter 20, verse 1, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now, how does he know that? Well, God's revealed it to him in some way or another. We don't know how. But God has revealed that to, some, to him in some manner, hasn't he? Set your house in order because you're going to die. Well, since it's a future event... As far as the manifestations of the Spirit are concerned, it has to be a word of wisdom. Word of wisdom does not mean this is what God wants. Word of wisdom means this is what's going to happen. It's a foretelling. It's a future event. And so Isaiah says to the king, you're not going to make it through this. Get ready. Make sure you've got your affairs in order because you're going to die. But now the story turns a little bit. Then he... He, meaning Hezekiah, verse 2, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out of the middle court 
that the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord God, the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer and have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. Now he tells us some other things about his enemies and so forth, but that's the point I want to see. Now, which one was God and which one did Isaiah miss? Supernatural manifestation. Here's a lightning of God in both cases with contradictory information. What happened? Isaiah goes to Hezekiah the first time and says, here's what's going to happen under the present circumstances, which was the word of the Lord to him. You're going to die. Under the present circumstances, you're going to die. Well, Hezekiah changed those circumstances. So he changed his destiny. He changed his circumstances. He turned his face to the wall. Now, I have no idea why he hadn't been praying like this before. I mean, if I'm sick and at the point of death, I'm not going to have to have somebody tell me you're going to die for me to start praying. Would you? And I don't know what it means when he says he turned his face to the wall. I don't know if that means he turned his face away from everything else. Maybe it was all the other affairs of state that was uh, distracting him and keeping him from seeking the Lord about this. I don't know. But something changed. Something happened that was different in Hezekiah. Hezekiah changed it, not God. Hezekiah changed the circumstances so the outcome could be different. He turned his face to the wall and he said, Lord, remember, I've done a lot of good stuff. I've served you. And he wept sore. Maybe that indicates his heart was really in it where before it had not been. I don't know. I'm just guessing here, folks. Because the Bible doesn't tell us exactly. And I think there's a reason why it doesn't. Because if the Bible spelled out every little thing to us like that, then we think, okay, well, if I can just weep. If it was his weeping sore, he wept sore. If that get God's attention, oh, let's tune up and bawl and squall. Well, there's enough of that in the church that's not real. But whatever it was, it was something that was real for Hezekiah. Because he turned his face to the wall. And before Isaiah even leaves the house, the Lord speaks to him and says, okay, things are different now. Go back and tell Hezekiah that I'll give him 15 more years. I'll heal him and give him 15 more years. So Isaiah, the prophet, who never misses it, turns back and says, God said you got 15 more years now. I'm sure they had a real good conversation. I would imagine Isaiah said, what did you do? If it was me, I would have wanted, I would have know, wanted to know, wouldn't you? What'd you do? What changed this? I know the, the word of the Lord. I know I spoke the word of the Lord that doesn't change. You had to change this. What'd you do? Folks, what I want you to understand is it's not just the manifestation of the spirit, but oftentimes the people that have something to do with it. You've got something to do with this. That's why the Bible tells you. That's why Paul wrote to the church and said, covet earnestly these best gifts. Or he said, covet earnestly these gifts. He said, desire these spiritual gifts. He said, be zealous of these things. He's not talking to John Smith in the church. He's talking to the church. He's saying everybody needs to want these things. Everybody should desire these things. Everybody should want and have a desire for the supernatural in such a measure that you change things to make the atmosphere Conducive for the Holy Ghost to manifest. He's saying spiritually, in a spiritual context, he's saying, make the atmosphere conducive for lightning. You do what's necessary to make the atmosphere conducive for lightning. There's electrical charge in here all the time. But there's only going to be lightning if the circumstances are right, the conditions are right for that lightning to flash. That's what the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are about. Folks, I wish it was just up to me. I wish I could just pray enough and they would work whenever. If that was the case, we wouldn't have any problems. I'm perfectly willing to pray enough. But the fact is I'm praying enough now. So there are other things at work. There are many other things at work. Now, if you've been around here any length of time, and if you come to other services other than just Sunday mornings, you know that our services are different. We have, for example, we have a greater manifestation of the Holy Ghost on Sunday nights than we do Sunday mornings. Now, why is that? 
Is God different on Sunday nights? Well, the Bible says God never changes. Well, okay, if God never changes and we have a greater manifestation of the Holy Ghost on Sunday nights, what's changed? What's the difference? Well, Sunday morning is kind of like a family meeting. I'm kind of like the dad of a, of a family at a family reunion. Well, some people are there because their wife made them come. They don't want to be there. Some people are thinking about what they're missing because they are there. I mean, after all, it's football season. Some people are thinking about the clock. Sometimes I'm thinking about the clock. Sometimes people are thinking about what we did in the worship service. They're thinking, I didn't like that song they sang. I could have gone down the road to the other church that hires professional musicians. They always have better music. Now, folks, we can laugh about this stuff, but this stuff matters. Makes a big difference. Because some people are in it for the worship experience. Well, okay, go have your worship experience. See how supernatural that gets. I'm not in it for the worship experience. I have my own worship experiences and I don't need anybody else to play anything to get to have it. I'm in it for the supernatural. If I can't pastor supernaturally, I quit. Because if I can't pastor supernaturally, what I'm left with is dealing with people. I'll let you just guess how long I'll put up with that without the help of the Holy Ghost. Do you understand what I'm saying? What's this supposed to be? Really, what is it? What is it supposed to be? Is it supposed to be a gathering where somebody tells you and gives you some information that will make you feel good about yourself for the next week? That's not what I want it to be. I'm convinced. Well, I shouldn't say convinced. I'm pretty well convinced. I'll go that far. It's to say I think we ought to have two services. I think we ought to have a service from 9.30 to 11 and then have an intermission. Come back and sing another song and let everybody that wants to leave go. And then we'll have a second service where the Holy Ghost can move with the people that want to be there. Now, folks, I'm not mad at anybody. This is not me mad. If you'd ever seen me mad, you'd know that. I'm not upset with anybody. I'm not complaining about anybody because, honestly, you're better than most. There's not a half of 1% of churches that are more interested in the things of God than you are. I get that. But what are we willing to do to have the supernatural? I've been kind of at a loss for what to do with this series. Because you need to realize we've been praying for almost six years, going on six years at least. We've been praying for the rain. And the Bible says, God said, if we would ask for the rain, and we've been doing that, here's what he would do. He would give us lightnings. He'd give us manifestations of the Holy Ghost. That's what lightnings means. It doesn't mean ministry gifts. He's not saying, ask of the Lord rain and I'll give you teachers. That's not what he's saying. Teaching is great. Teachers are, are right. But God says those in the church. He does that. He's not saying, ask of the Lord rain and I'll give you grace gifts. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, ask of the Lord rain and I will give you manifestations or lightnings of the Holy Ghost. Demonstrations of power in the presence of God. Which is what manifestations of the Spirit are all about. They're demonstrations of God's power or, and or God's presence. So we've got something to look forward to if God's word is true. So I'm looking at this like, okay, Lord, what do we do? How do I handle this? Do I just expect that God's going to use me because I care? 
Do I look at this as, okay, Lord, I've been praying, so I expect manifestations of the Spirit of God through me? Folks, you need to realize, there's a lot of people that won't come because it's me. We're not going to reach the world by me preaching in the pulpit here. I'm smart enough to know my limitations. That's just not the way it works. I'm not an evangelist. Now, I can give altar calls, but I'm not an evangelist. And I can tell the difference. I don't know if anybody else can, but I can tell the difference when there's a real anointing to, to, to give an altar call as opposed to me just inviting people to come give their hearts to Jesus. Big difference. Huge difference. I used to beat myself up week after week after week trying to get saved people saved. And finally, in prayer, the Lord asked me, why are you trying to get people saved that are already in the kingdom of God? Because I'm thinking, okay, as a pastor, I've got to give an altar call every week. Got to do that. And there's plenty of people that will criticize you if you won't. So here I am giving an altar call every week. And I'm, I'm complaining, saying, oh, Lord, if I was just a better at, at altar calls, if I was just better at this, and people to get saved. And the Lord asked me, who? Who was there that was, that's not saved? And I think back and think, well, I knew everybody that was there. Yeah, everybody is saved. He said, then what are you complaining about? Well, what I'm complaining about is I'm supposed to give an altar call and there's nobody there to get saved. I guess that's really the bottom line. I'm here, uh, you know. So now I just wait for the Holy Ghost to prompt me to do it. Now, that doesn't mean that if I don't give an altar call, that means everybody in the room is saved. But it does mean that there's nobody ready to, get, to give their heart to Jesus. I've learned that much. The Holy Ghost has taught me that much. So how are we going to have a harvest? How are we going to have a spiritual harvest? Well, folks, if it's not a supernatural method... If it's not a demonstration of the power of God, then what in the world is going to do it? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about what I got. I'm well satisfied to be equipped as a teacher. We get stories all over. We got a, a report this last week from a, a, a lady that uh, she and her daughter started watching us on TV a couple of years ago. And then her daughter moved to New York and go to, to uh, University Hofstra, I think it is. And started a Bible study. Well, she's been doing this for a couple of years. And two years ago when they started, there was nobody coming. Now there's 90 people coming and they use our TV programs and podcasts for teaching. That's what they're doing with the, te- with the, the, the Bible study. With college kids on Hofstra University. Well, that's pretty good. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew the college kids would listen to me? college kids in a New York university listening to a California pastor that's from Alabama. (laughs) Go plan that. We've got stuff like that happening overseas. We've got uh, reports from uh, 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 some people in Poland that somehow or another got a hold of our website. And when we started doing the translation, Maria does the, the Polish translation for us. When we started doing the translation, now they're running Bible studies and some of the pastors, they're even having pastors that get together and listen to this thing because not everybody's got a computer, not everybody has access. So they get together and they listen to, to, the, to the teachings online and then they discuss them and, and that kind of thing. Well, who knew that I would reach Polish pastors from California? So there's all kinds of good things going on. Things that we don't, a lot of things we don't even know about till after the fact. And even things that we do know about it, we don't usually stop and talk about, you know, look how great we are. I'm very careful that it, that it doesn't come across that way because I don't have anything to do with any of it. Folks, if it was left up to me, as, uh, as one famous person said not long ago, I'm a low tech guy in a high tech world. Now, if you wondered who said that, it was Phil Robertson on Duck Dynasty. So if it was up to me, none of this stuff would be happening. But we've got guys that are proficient in this thing, and they took it on themselves and said, hey, why don't we do this? And I said, well, I don't know what you're talking about, but go ahead. And so there's a lot of things happening. So I'm not complaining about what I got, but I'm not satisfied with it. And I can't see any Bible evidence that I'm supposed to be. 
Where does the Bible ever say be satisfied with what you got? Now it says be content. So I am content with a little bit of frustration. And that little bit of frustration is what keeps me going. That little bit of frustration. Frustration is a sign that something needs to change. And I'm trying to change a lot. Most of it in me. Some of it in you. But most of it in me. But I've got a promise from God. So do you. For manifestations of the Spirit. Lightnings of the Spirit. I've got a promise. This is not a matter of, well, I hope this happens. God said so. I've done my part in praying. And that's all he said to do. Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. I don't think anybody can make an argument that this is not the time for the latter rain. So I've got a promise from God. So what is our purpose here? What should we do? Well, it seems to me, and I can't say God's really told me about this, but it seems to me just through the wisdom that I've tried to develop from the word, and the experience that I've got in ministry, it seems to me that the thing to do is to talk about these things to the point where we all get frustrated because we're not having what we think we ought to have. So let me share my frustration with you. And again, it's not lack of contentment. It's not, you know, the Bible's not true. God's not doing his part. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying the Bible says there's something that belongs to us that we're not experiencing, at least in the measure that we think we should. As I said before, it's 1057. If anybody needs to go, go ahead. Tell you what, we'll all say a word of prayer so you can sneak out. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Ready, go. Honestly, it wouldn't bother me if somebody needs to go. And I understand. I don't mean that in a, in a uh, condescending or a condemning way. I know things come up and people have things that they need to do. And if you ever need to leave, that's fine. Just go. Not going to hurt my feelings. But I'm, I'm trying my best. I, I keep, I've said this several times and I never have gotten there yet. But I'm trying my best not to care if people want to leave. I'm trying my best. But that always bugs me. I look at the clock and I think, well, they've been here. I've been talking for 45 minutes now. So how long should they listen? I mean, I was willing to sit and listen to Brother Hagin for hours. But that was Brother Hagin. I'm not him. I don't claim to be him. I don't claim to have what he has, either wisdom or gift. That's not. Thank you, but that's not what I was going for. <laughs> but we are interested in in natural things, and I think our interest, I think our our focus on natural things, is oftentimes the thing that keeps us out of the things of God. I mean, let's face it, most of you just come on Sunday morning anyway. So how long can you spare? I, I, I really mean this seriously, folks. If you only come on Sunday mornings, you're missing the best part of our church. Because when we don't have to have the production on Sunday morning to keep everybody happy. <laughs> Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, we just have the music's good. But it's not over the top. It's not, it's not a production type thing. We just worship God and then move into whatever God has for us to do. And there's a lot of times a much better spirit. Um, and I, I don't want to say that. There's always a good spirit in our church. But there's a much stronger move of the Holy Ghost in some of the other services. Because the people that are there in those times are the ones that really, really, really want to be there. That doesn't mean you don't want to be here. I'm not trying to say that. I, I don't know how to say this right without offending people. But let's face it, I offend people all the time anyway, so why should I worry about that? I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. It's kind of like fasting. 
I like to eat, which means I don't like to fast. Those are opposites. But fasting has some real spiritual benefits because they draw your attention away from natural things to spiritual things. Now, folks, if you just stop eating and don't do something spiritual like pray or read the word instead, that's just called a diet. (laughs) That's not fasting. That's dieting. What I'm talking about is putting, doing something in your life to put God first, making a conscious effort to do something that puts him first or, or puts him in a higher position, a greater position in your life. That'll open the door for spiritual sensitivity. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about a real desire. We can say, yeah, we want the move of the Holy Ghost. But do we really? Does that mean we're willing to do what it takes to have one? Or does that just mean, well, if it's convenient, we'd like to see God do some really neat things. I think the second is the more more uh, often answer. Or the answer that is most often the one that people mean. Oh, let's see signs and wonders and miracles by 1102. (laughs) What if God doesn't work on our clock? As a matter of fact, I found in a lot of things he doesn't work on mine. A lot of things I believe for don't happen when I want them to happen. They happen, but not in my timing. Well, that means God doesn't work on our clock, doesn't it? Paul even found that. First letter he wrote to Timothy. He talked about Alexander and Hymenaeus, who he delivered over to the Lord for the destruction of the flesh. Delivered over to Satan, excuse me, for the destruction of the flesh that they might learn not to blaspheme. The second letter he wrote to Timothy, he speaks of Alexander and Hymenaeus still on the scene. He says God will judge them. What does that mean? That means God doesn't kill people as fast as you want him to sometimes. (laughs) Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because God doesn't kill people. But he's praying. He speaks of the judgment of God coming upon him, but it hasn't yet come. Well, you can't tell me that Paul's praying someday. No, he's looking for results then. Things don't always happen in the timing that we want. And that's what the the aspect of faith is all about. Because many times, faith has to keep going after you thought it should have worked by now. Let me, um, as I said earlier in the the service, may have said it a couple of times, it seems to me that I've uh, had uh, manifestations of the Spirit in the area of revelation, along with the gift of faith in operation more than anything else. I've, uh, I've seen angels several times. I've had a couple of visions of Jesus. Those are all discerning of spirits. Not counting what they said. Just the fact that you see into the spirit realm, those are manifestations of discerning of spirits. Now notice that it doesn't say it's discerning of devils. It's discerning of spirits. It's seeing over into the spirit realm. The Bible talks more about seeing angels and seeing the similitude of God than it ever speaks of seeing devils. But some people get the wrong idea and they think it's all about seeing devils. Now, there are, there are um, well, I, I think I'm safe in saying rare occasions where you are going to see the devil in operation. For example, when I was working with Brother Hagin, uh, and I think this had to do with, uh, uh, with Brother Hagin's healing anointing more than anything else, there would be times where he would see that people's illness or their disease was being enforced or caused by the presence of an evil spirit. And there would be times where he would just know that. He'd lay hands on him and he'd just know that. So he'd address the spirit and say, you've got to take your hands off of him in the name of Jesus and, and get results. But there was one time I remember that I was working with Brother Hagen, and I'm uh, working in the healing line. And so we're, we're going down the line and my job was catcher. And, and so he's, I'm here, the person having hands laid on him is right in front of me. And then Brother Hagen's right in front of them. And Brother Hagen stopped and he laid hands on him and he pulled back, stepped back a little bit and looked at him. And just stared at him for a moment. And then his eyes popped open real wide. And he said, ah, you're going to have to go. (laughs) 
Who, me? Okay, where you want me to go? You know, who's he talking to? We couldn't tell. And he stopped. I'd never seen him do this before. I've always, uh, I'd seen him explain it after the fact, but I'd never seen him explain during something like this before. And it's, it caught me off guard. He stopped. And before he did anything other than said to the, the evil spirits, you're going to have to go. He stopped and he backed up and he said to the man, he said, I see an evil spirit. There's a monkey looking thing sitting on your right shoulder. And he's got his head, he's got his arms around your head, squeezing as tight as he can. He said, do you have migraine headaches? He said, yeah, I've got one now. This is so bad I can't hardly see. He said, well, it's being caused by an evil spirit. And so, Brother Hagin, now, they, they showed the video of this later on. This thing was being videoed. And it's the healing line's going this way. Brother Hagin has made his way down the line. And, uh, and so he's here. The guy that he's praying for is right in front of him, and I'm right behind him. And it's so funny because it's got audio on the video too. And so they played it after the fact. And they said, when Brother Hagin said, I see an evil spirit on your shoulder, I stepped way back. (laughs) I have no remembrance of that, but it's so clear. I'm right there in the frame with Brother Hagin. All of a sudden, I just disappear. (laughs) I know what's coming. He's going to cast that thing out, and I don't know where he's going to go. So let me get out of the way here. So anyway, he, uh, he, after he said that and got the information from the guy, then he went back and he prayed in tongues for just another, I don't know, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, something like that. He got, he explained later, he said, when I talked to the, to the man, he said, I got out of the spirit. He said, so I had to pray in tongues for a few seconds to get back there. And he said, well, you could tell because he got right back there. His eyes opened again. It's, there it is right on his shoulder. And so he spoke to the thing. He says, you're going to have to go. He told us later that the thing said, well, I know I have to if you tell me to, but I don't want to. And he said, well, turn loose of him and go and get out of this place right now. And all of a sudden, the guy that he was praying for lifted both of his hands and said, it's gone. Now, that was back in 1982, maybe, something like that. That guy kept coming back to to, uh, different seminars and camp meetings and things like that. And over the next 20 years, he never had another problem with it. I don't know what's happened after that. But for 20 years, he was completely free from that thing. Now, what was that? Well, it's seeing over into the spirit realm, so it had to be discerning of spirits. I think maybe something like that happened with Paul in Acts chapter 16. Paul became aware of something in addition to what he would already have known through his ministry experience. He would have had to have known that this little girl's operating by the devil because she's telling fortunes. God doesn't do that. So he knows it's the operation of the devil, but something happened. So in my thinking, and this is just my guess, my thinking is it's either discerning of spirits and he saw the thing, or a gift of faith came upon him, special faith came upon him, that gave him the ability to do something about what he knew was already there. I can't see any other options. Now, the gift of faith is a, is a um, gift of faith can sometimes be misinterpreted or misidentified. I remember there was a um, uh, there's a couple in our church. They're they're here this morning, and um, they got married in our church and and plan to start a family. And they were trying to have kids and, and uh, uh, having some difficulties, going to the doctors, trying to find out what was going on. Well, one day um, they called and, and said, uh, the wife called and said, Pastor Mike, I need to come see you. I said, okay, come see me. So she, I think both of them came, if I remember correctly. They both came and, and uh, sat down in the office, the conference room, and said, uh, Pastor Mike, we found out from the doctor that there's a problem that there's some kind of problem with us being able to have kids. They say we'll never have kids ever. So we're going to go ahead and adopt. And so we want you to agree with us to uh, for adopting and, uh, uh, you know, whatever. So I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. I'm listening. My heart's just breaking for them. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you talk about lightnings. You talk about a flash of something. All of a sudden, something happened. And I said, all right. I was aware of it. I mean, everything about me changed. I mean, I'm, here I am, I'm feeling bad for them. 
I'm not feeling bad for anybody anymore. Instantly. I said, all right, that's fine. I'll agree with you to adopt and you will adopt. But in the name of Jesus, you will have children. And I told them what the child was going to be. I told them what the sex of the child that they would have. Well, they, they kind of blinked their eyes a little bit and said, well, okay, praise God, we, we agree. And they walked out of the office. And I don't know if the Holy Ghost is ever used in stuff like this, but sometimes when you put yourself out there and say something, I mean, it's one thing to think it, it's another thing to say it because then you're on the record. Then everybody knows whether or not you told the truth or whether or not you know God. So whereas the Holy Ghost operates in flashes and manifestations of lightning flashes type things, the devil's always there on the heels of it. Because as soon as they walked out the door, I mean, I, this is one of those charge hell with the gates of hell with a squirt gun type things. I, am, I know that I know that I know. And then they left the room. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. What in the world have I said? The devil's right there. Oh, you've messed up now. They're going to go tell all their friends, and the whole church is going to know what a fool you are. They're going to know you don't have anything. Folks, i got to tell you, I tried to make myself doubt that. Couldn't do it. That was the first time that I was ever conscious of the gift of faith in operation. Now, how? what is the operation of faith? Faith, whether it's saving faith, whether it's believing God for blessings faith, whether it's special faith, always works in the same way. Faith is always the same. It's believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. But faith begins where the will of God is known. If God doesn't give you something, you don't have any basis to say it. Somebody explained, um, uh, Howard Carter, I think it is, explained the gift of faith as when God honors a man's words as his own. And you see examples of that, a lot of examples of that in the Old Testament. Where Moses commanded this, or what was it, Moses? No, it was Joshua that commanded the sun to, turn, to stand still. And it stood still for a day, a full day. And the Bible says there was never a day before that or after that where God honored a man's words like his own. Well, that's a gift of faith. You can't stop the sun. How do you stop the sun? God put physical laws in motion. He put laws in the universe. You can't supersede the laws of God unless you've got something from God to do it. So we could say, well, Joshua did a mighty work. Yeah, but what was the basis for that mighty work that he did? If he doesn't have some go-ahead from God, he can stand there and speak to the sun all day long. It's going to keep, the earth's going to keep spinning and everything's going to keep going forward. I think this is what happens a lot of times with the devil. We try to speak to the devil. We'll scream at him. We'll holler at him until we're blue in the face. But there's no anointing to do anything about it, and so nothing takes place. And people come away from that saying, well, maybe we don't really have authority. Well, you don't have authority in everything. You've got authority in your life, and you've got authority to help other people, but there's an unction, there's an, unction an anointing from the Holy Ghost that's necessary for these things to take place. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 16. Paul didn't have any more authority on the day that he cast the Spirit out than he had the day before. But he became aware of some kind of move of the Holy Ghost that enabled him to act on that authority with confidence. In their case, the case of this family, this young family, I saw, just like that, I saw them with two kids. And so whereas we could say, well, wait a minute, that's a word of wisdom. Okay, maybe it was. It was God showing me his plan and purpose. But it was only speaking it out that made it happen. So here, in, in my thinking, you've got the word of wisdom, which is revelation, a manifestation of revelation, plus the gift of faith and operation together. And many times these, uh, these manifestations work together, hand in hand. Many times. And to be perfectly honest with you, I know that it's necessary to, to, to break some of these things, these things down for the sake of understanding so that people aren't ignorant of the things of the Holy Ghost. And there is so much ignorance of the Holy Ghost in the church. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I've got it all figured out. There's so much more for me to learn too. But to hear the things that people say about the Holy Ghost and the way things work, it's just, it's embarrassing. You think, my goodness. Shouldn't we be further along than that? And I think one of the reasons that we are not further along than that is because we have so um, 
I don't want to use the word belittled, because that's probably not a good way to say it. But we have so discounted the supernatural operation of, the, of God in the church. People go to church and they don't expect anything supernatural. Well, according to your faith, be it unto you. I grew up in a church that if something supernatural happened, it would have scared us all out to running out the door. <laughs> Nobody's expecting supernatural. We don't even think there is a supernatural. We, accept, we expect the pastor to come up with some new sermon, some fresh new twist on the only thing that he knows, and that is Jesus died on the cross. Get people saved. Get them come to the altar. Get people to rededicate their lives. Man, alive, if something supernatural had happened, it would have scared the fire out of all of us. We'd have been run screaming from the room. Well, how much of the church is still like that? How much of the church thinks it's about some kind of sermon or some kind of worship experience or some kind of social club or whatever the case is? Folks, the church is supernatural. That's Paul's whole purpose in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He's saying it's a supernatural church. It's a supernatural body. Each part has its own part to play. Each person has his own part to play. It's a supernatural body. Let's pray. Father, I feel like Solomon, who when he was made king, he said, give me wisdom because I'm like a little child. I don't know how to go in or come out. In many ways, Father, I feel that way about our church. You've given me wisdom, and you've given me the example of Scripture to know what the people need to be taught. But Paul, who is also a teacher, said that his preaching and teaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. Now, Father, we don't mean to, to discount the miraculous things that have happened because there are many people that are in this church, even in this room, that have been healed miraculously. We've seen the Word of God work in mighty, mighty ways because we put the Word first. And we emphasize the foundation of the Word of God in our lives. So, Father, I don't want this to come across in any form whatsoever, any manner whatsoever, as dissatisfaction. But I have to tell you, Father, I want more. I want more. I don't want more for me. I don't want people to say, oh, look at Pastor Mike. He's got more. I want more of the supernatural for our church. I want more. I want, I want more for our congregation. I want our church to be known as a congregation of the supernatural. Not a pastor of the supernatural, a congregation of the supernatural. I want people to know that if they want to find God, this is the place to find Him. I want people to know that there's help, supernatural, miraculous help from the Holy Ghost. Now, Father, you said that if we would ask of you rain in the time of the latter rain, you would make bright clouds or lightnings. You would give us showers of rain to everyone grass in the field, a harvest in these last days. Father, we demand our rights. We've got a right based on your word, based on your promise. We've prayed and we'll continue to. We'll never quit on that. But we demand our rights. We've been risen with Christ. We've been quickened with him together. We've been raised and seated at your right hand, a place of authority. We've got a right to the moving of the Holy Ghost. We've got a right to the promise of Zechariah 10.1 being fulfilled in our lives. We've got a right to it. In the name of Jesus. Now, Father, the only reason you said that, the only reason you promised that is because you want us to have it. So I know I'm not trying to talk you out of anything that you wouldn't do normally. 
We're just declaring that we realize what our rights are. And we're not satisfied to have less than what you promised. Father, we thank you for manifestations of the Holy Ghost, lightnings of the Spirit in revelation, in power, and in utterance. In Jesus' precious name. Help us to draw away every hindrance, every natural thing that would turn our attention away from the supernatural. Help us, Lord, to not be pulled away by the things of the world that we may put you first and the things of the Spirit first place. Lord, we examine our hearts for those things that we value more than you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to convict us of those things that we might make the changes that are necessary. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Well, let's all stand together. It's 11.22, so it's a service and a half this morning. (laughs) I really do love you, folks. I really do want the best for you. I know my limitations, but I know God doesn't have any. Therefore, I want the manifestation of the Holy Ghost for you to have your needs met. I want the manifestation of the Holy Spirit so that those things which cannot be realized in many cases, which cannot be realized except a supernatural work of God takes place. I want those things for you. I want those things for people that come into the door. I want people to be able to come into this door and know they can find God. Nobody ever knows them. Nobody even knows why they're here. Nobody knows who they are. But God realizes who they are and meets their needs. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Paul talked about the church working together that there be no lack in the body. No schism, King James says, that there be no lack in the body. That can only be accomplished by the work of the Spirit. It's the only way it can happen. And we've got a promise from God that it will. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Come back and be with us tonight if you can.